Good morning, First Church. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome everybody to part two of our Blessed Life series this Sunday morning. And man, what an incredible, incredible move of God that we've already had today. It's such a special place, First Church. And I'm just so honored to be here today. I'm honored to stand before you. My name is Kento Mori, for those who don't know me. I'm the next-gen pastor here at First Church, and I'm just, I'm just blessed to be here with you today. I made, a, I made a choice long ago that whenever I would speak, whenever I'd preach, I, I, would only, I wouldn't simply just practice what I preached, but I would only preach the things that I practice in my life. And so there's a lot of pros and cons with that. Uh, obvious con is that my repertoire is not very large. I need to grow in myself in Christ, and so I don't have too much to speak about. But what I do have to speak about, I can say that I, I truly live it out, and I speak from my own experiences and, and what I go through in my life. And so, uh, because I just feel like God's just already here and just ready to move again, uh, let's just not dilly-dally too long. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to read from 2 Kings 4, 1 through 6. And it says, The wife of, the man, of a man from a company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, and said, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her and said, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. And Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour out the oil into all the jars. As each is filled, put it to the side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept on pouring. When all, the jar, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied to her and said, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. If you would just take a moment to pray with me. I truly believe, I really do believe that days like today can change everybody's life. It can change a life. It can change your entire perspective. Church isn't just a, it's not just a country club. We're just not here to hang out and have a good time. We're here so our lives can be completely shifted. And I believe that today that can happen for somebody. So if you would just open up the doors of prayer and say, God, whatever I can do for my end, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. I just need you to respond because there's only so much I can do in moments like this. But if you would respond to my faithfulness with your faithfulness, God, I believe that my life can be forever changed. I'm asking you, God, to open up our minds and our hearts that we may receive the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Today is part two of part one, or part two of the Blessed Life series. And as far as a recap from part one, for anybody who was already here last week, if last week's message by Pastor John, who did an incredible, incredible job, if last week's message was hard to swallow, uh, I'm afraid that this week is going to be gut-wrenching, because that's just how it is. It just works. It just builds on, uh, builds on itself, and these principles of God, they just build on one another. Um, so from last week, the principle is simple. What is the tithe? The tithe is always the first 10%. And, and what he spoke about last week, he was, he was explaining that biblically, everything that we have as far as income belongs to God because it was given to us by God. And so the tithe is returning the first 10% of our income as not just an act of faith, but an act of understanding of who our provider is. If God is your provider, it shouldn't be difficult to tithe 10% of what God already provided for you. 
And so the tithe is always a test of our faithfulness. It's a test of our priorities. It's a test of our understanding of who the provider is. And when it comes to money, the Bible is very clear. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, and it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So what is mammon? For anybody who doesn't know what mammon is, mammon is an Aramaic word for riches. It started from the great city of Babylon in ancient times, a city that was built on money, a city that was built on, on businesses and, and, and structures, a, built that, a city that was built on self-sufficient pride, a, a city that knew that, that, hey, that believed that there is no need for God if you can just take care of it yourself. Why do you need God when you have wealth, when you have money, when you have things, when you have property? There's no need for God. And so in that city, God, the God of the universe, is no longer their God. Now their new God was something known as mammon or riches. You see, we live in America. This is a wealthy nation. It's easy to see people who serve the God of mammon here today. Here today, what is mammon for us? It's security, it's significance, it's identity, it's independence, it's power, and it's freedom. It's, it's that belief system that says, if only I had so much money in my bank account, then I'll be set for life. Then I'll be secure for the rest of my life. But God's calling that out, and he's, that, and he's saying, it doesn't matter how much you have. Money comes and money goes. I am the only one that, I'm the only true variable that never changes in your life. If you can lean on me, everything else gets set into place. And God's trying to pull some people away from this God of mammon, the God of money. There's a story in the Bible, this, this incredible story of, of Jesus feeding 15 to 20,000 people with just a lunch. Uh, so I'll read Matthew 14, and it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them. And then he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, they, they need not to depart. Give them something to eat. And so they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them hither to me. So crowd's getting late, or day's getting late, huge crowd of people, everybody's hungry, everybody's murmuring, and the disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, we got to let them go so they can eat. We don't have enough food. All we have is, you know, this packed lunch, and Jesus is saying, hey, bring it to me. And the next part is really important, and, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish, and he looked up to heaven, and he blessed and broke it, and he gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples took it to the multitude. And they all ate, and they were filled, and they took up from the fragments of the remaining 12 baskets full. So this isn't just a cool story of a miracle that God performed. In fact, this is instructions on how God can change your life as well. You see, if you truly believe in the same God that I believe, then you believe in a God of multiplication, a God of miracles, signs, and wonders, a God that can change your life in a moment. A God that can shift everything inside of your mind, but not just outside of you, inside of your mind, but outside of your, out in your, in your finances, in your life, everything in your life, God can change it. If God is Alpha and Omega, he has the ability to change everything right now. Right now. And so it's not too hard to believe these stories. 
if that's the God that you believe in. It's not hard to believe that God can take a lunch and feed 15,000 people. But this story is more than just a story of a miracle. It's instructions for you and I. Because if God can do it back then, he can do it right now. I still believe that the God of the Bible is the God that I'm serving right now. It's not just something that he could do. It's something that he's doing today. Right? And so let's look at the story and break it down step by step on what it actually takes for God to begin to multiply things in our lives. The first thing that God did with his lunch, he took it and he blessed it. You see, if you are here last week, you'd understand that the tithe and the offering, it's so that God can bless the rest of it. When you return your tithe, the first 10%, God blesses the other 90%. This also means that God can do more with a blessed 90% than you can do with 100% of your income. I, I, I trust God far more than a 401k. I trust God far more than the crypto market or the stock market. Whatever he can do with 90% is so much more than what I can do with my 100%. Okay? And so the first step for multiplication is having everything blessed by God, by making him the priority, by giving it to him first, and then he blesses the rest. The second step for multiplication is simple. It's giving it away. You see, after Jesus blessed the food that the, that the disciples gave to him, what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened when God took the food and, and looked up to heaven and blessed it. He just gave it back. Nothing happened to the food. There were still five pieces of bread and two fish. They're just broken down now. So what, what, what really changed it? What, what happened in multiplication was when the disciples took what was blessed and started to hand it out and started to give it away. The blessing comes when you begin to give away what's blessed. That's where miracles happen. That's how multiplication works. That's how God works. You see, the thing is with these disciples, they were hungry too. The fact is they didn't have to give it anything away. If they were really that hungry and only cared about themselves, they could have eaten these five pieces of bread and two fish, and they would have been fine. In fact, at the end of the day, after they handed everything out, they were still left with the same amount of food. They didn't gain food. Everything that we're talking about today, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This isn't how to grow your wealth in five steps. That's not what this is about. This is a simple principle that God's giving us. He's given us an opportunity to take what is ours and multiply it to affect other people, to affect, affect, affect situations that we can never do on our own. And so these disciples, if they really wanted to, they could have sat there and ate their lunch and let the 15,000 go. But God's saying, let me show you something that can happen. If you would take what's blessed and you begin to hand it out, give it away, spread it out, I will not only just feed your stomach, but I'll bless everybody else that you're willing to give to. So that's the true principle here. I'm not here to talk about how to grow yourself. I'm here to show you how God can use you, how God can be used through you. And that's the true power of this blessed life. You see, the blessed life isn't growing my wealth. A blessed life through God is being used by God. If you've never been used by God, there are plenty of people in this room that can testify saying that's one of the greatest things that God could ever do for me to use me to affect somebody else. Malachi 3.10, and it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not enough room to store it. The question is, are you willing to still give it away so that God can bless somebody else's storehouse? 
Does it always have to be your storehouse, or are you willing to give something away so God can bless other people as well? Because that's what it's all about. Where's your heart at? Is this all about you and growing yourself, or are you trying to change everybody else around you? You see, once you fix the heart issue through the tithe, which is placing God first, returning what's already his, then God blesses the rest. Everything else you have, the 90%, God will bless that. And what you do with that 90% is completely up to you. You see, last week was was a question of what you're going to do with what's God's. This week we're talking about what are you going to do with what's yours now. You see, there's plenty of people who tithe consistently consistently tithing their first 10%, and God blesses you, and God blesses you, but you don't see miracles. You don't see multiplication because you haven't yet started to give away what God's blessed. The question for today is a question of who's radical enough to chase down the miracles that God's trying to use you through. You see, I wonder how many people are sick and tired of just watching the miracles in somebody else's life and just wants a little peace for yourself. I don't want more. I want to be used more. That's the question for today. Who wants to be used by God? You see, if tithing removes the curse and brings the blessing, sacrifice kicks open the doors for the miraculous. People who sacrifice see miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus' name. You see the story that I read at the beginning, the, the widow with oil, I want to go through it one more time because it's, it's so powerful. But, but in today's age, we live in such a privileged society. If you're poor in America, you're wealthy just about anywhere else in the world. We are privileged from the beginning. We're blessed from the get-go. And we look around and we still have so much that we want from God. We have so much that we still desire from God. But God's saying, what can you give away to somebody else? What can you pour out into the church and into, into, into people who are desperate and needing of you? And watch what I can do with that. You see, we live with so much freedom and opportunity that the capacity for blessing has gotten close to zero. You want to know who gets miracles? People who need miracles. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 6, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Now, as I read this next part, it's really important to, to understand the heart of Elisha. He said to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, this is a... a a common response of somebody saying, hey, I need something. Then I'll ask them, hey, what do you have? So that I understand the void that needs to be filled. But Elisha wasn't asking that question to understand what void needs to be filled. He said, tell me what you have. Why? Because Elisha understood that miracles happen through sacrifice. He wanted to know what she can give up still. I know you don't have much, but what do you have to give up now? He's not trying to fill the void. He's trying to make the void bigger. Because he understood that this is a God principle. When you give up what you have, it doesn't have to be a lot. But when you give up what you have, God begins to multiply that. That's the miracle. He's not asking to fill the void. He wants to know what else you can give. And she said, your servant has nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. You see, when Elisha looked at this lady who had nothing but a jar of olive oil, He's not looking at some broke lady. In his eyes, what he's seen is somebody with great capacity for a miracle. 
incredible capacity for a miracle. Because when you have nothing at all, God's looking down at you and saying you have so much to gain. He doesn't see what you don't have. He sees what, what can be filled in that gap right there. And so this is so important for us to understand. You see, there's a, there's a proverb that says, life, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But so many people in this room, we're born with lemonade. Sometimes we just need to turn it back into lemons and let God change the rest. You see, this lady right here in this story, she legitimately had nothing at all. And in fact, he's telling her to go to her neighbor's house. If you don't have capacity, go to your neighbor's house and make capacity for the miracle. She didn't have room for a miracle, so she needed to make some more room right then just by bringing in jars. So many people today don't have capacity, not because you don't have jars, but because your jars are all full. You have so much that there's no room for a miracle in your life. But if you only understand the principle that if you begin to pour out these jars, create room, that's when God can fill the gap. In Jesus' name. So Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door, and pour out the, pour out the oil into these jars. He's telling her to make capacity, create room, make room, make space for the miracle that God's about to do. Make space, make space. And she left him, shut the door, and she brought it all in. And she told her son, hey, bring me one more jar. But her son said, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. When God begins to pour out his spirit, when God begins to perform miracles, the only thing that stops the oil from pouring out and continuing to flow is when there's no more jars left to fill. If your life is full, what can God do with it? If there's no more need, what, what's the, what, what, why, is, why does God need to pour out oil? We need to create the capacity for God to perform miracles. You see, people want the testimonies. They just don't want the test. They want stories without sacrifice, and they want miracles while still living in the mundane. You see, so many people have bought into the American dream. It's a nightmare if you let it. You see, money comes and money goes. It's unstable ground. It'll always come. It's always fluctuating. But God's saying, if you build your life on me, I will always sustain you. I will always hold you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And if I can take after a sparrow, if I can look after a sparrow, of course, of course, I'm going to take, take care of you. You see, in our life, Bianca and I, we've, we've gone through quite a bit in this last year regarding this simple principle that God will, will bless and, and he'll multiply what you give away. And so I know last week they announced that, you know, we're pregnant and we're so happy. We're so excited. And I just want to say thank you to the church for praying with us in this last few years of our lives. It's, it's been harder than people understand. And so I, I believe that it's important for the church to understand exactly what we went through, and, and I just want to give a little bit of a testimony of what God's done for our lives. So we've been married for about four and a half years, and I remember when we, before we ever got married, we always talked about kids, talked about how many kids we wanted, and we knew that we wanted to start trying quickly when we got married. We always knew that we wanted to adopt as well. I heard a statistic long ago that if every church in America just adopted one child, there would be no more orphans in the world, and I just wanted to be a part of that change as well. And so when we got married, Bianca quickly graduated from nursing school, and she began to work as a labor and delivery nurse, which is something that she loves. It's a passion of hers. She, she loves it, and she's good at it. And so at that time of our lives, we were trying to have a child, and we were praying about it, asking for God's perfect timing, all that stuff. 
And about a year deep in our relationship, in our marriage, we, we still haven't had any sign of hope at all. And so I was getting a little concerned. I started to do a little bit of research on why it was, I felt like it, it felt long to me, you know. I felt like it had taken a while, but according to the research, it turns out it's not too uncommon for couples to, to take up to a year to, to, to get pregnant. And so I just kept on praying about it. Six months later, about six months later, still nothing happened. I'm starting to get a little more concerned on what's happening. But finally, about a year and a half later, a uh, year and a half into our marriage, we, we, were, we got pregnant. And we were so excited. We were so happy. I remember that night very vividly. I remember coming home and Bianca had this cute basket, had baby clothes, books, all this stuff. And we were just, we were just happy. We are just happy. It's something that we've been praying for for the past year and a half. And so we just knew that God was blessing us in that moment. And she knew all day, but I found out at night. And I remember we went to bed that night. And uh, <clears throat> I remember uh, feeling the bed move as she went to the bathroom. And it wasn't long after until she came back and she was just, she was just crying. And I knew that we had lost the baby. Um, so she went to the doctors, confirmed exactly what we feared. And we were just, it was hard. It was heartbroken. We were heartbroken. It was harder for her than it was for me. You know, I, I, just, I only knew about the pregnancy for three hours before we found out that we lost it. But when I looked up, you know, what exactly a six-week-year-old or six-week baby looks like, um, it, it hit me pretty hard. But we knew that if we can get pregnant once, we can get pregnant again. So we continued to pray about it. Another six months went by with nothing at all. And we decided that we need to go in to get some testing, see what's, what's, what's the problem here. Why is it taking so long? We found out that from a young age, Bianca only had half of her eggs available to conceive. And so at least we had some answers on why it was so difficult for us. But we kept on praying. We, we just knew without a shadow of a doubt that we were going to get pregnant. And I just want to pause here and say, man, like, people need to see the evidence for them to have faith. I can honestly say that in these seasons, in this story, I had so much faith. I, just, I could have preached the same message years ago because I just knew God confirmed it that we're going to have a child. So we kept on trying and nothing happened. Another year went by with nothing at all, just, just praying and with no, no sign at all. I remember in that season, we just decided that we're going to start to truly act in faith. And so Bianca started to, to buy clothes, baby clothes, furniture, high chairs, rocking chairs. She tapped into her gifting, which is spending money. She did a great job. We called it faith purchases. I call it coping. But hey, we were, all we were trying to do was build capacity for a miracle. That's all we were trying to do. And we spent hundreds and thousands on those things. But Bianca also started a ministry, and she called Hope Like Hannah. And it was for wives who are struggling getting pregnant. And it was a ministry, but it was also an act of faith, because all we were trying to do was build capacity for a miracle. We were just trying to set God up for a miracle. And as difficult as it is, there are people in this room right now who are seeking something. All you need to do is build the capacity for it. And it might be a step of faith, because it is. It's a, it's a huge step of faith starting a ministry about not being pregnant and saying, I'm praying through it, I'm praying through it. That's a step of faith, but we're just building room for a miracle, just building room for a miracle. In 2022, it was a huge year for us. It was a big year. Let's imagine it was starting. 
We were ready to serve. We were ready to sacrifice. We were ready to give. I remember going down to Indiana to, to visit Brother Mitchell's church, and I was so overwhelmed by these stories that I heard about somebody else's life and what God blessed somebody else with. I was so overwhelmed, and I said, I just want my own stories. I want to be a part of the change. I want, I want to see my life changed as well. I don't just want to hear about somebody else's life. And so when we started the campaign here at First Church, we, I had a number in mind, and it was a big number to me, and I just felt like it was the right number to give. But everything shifted on a Sunday morning when Mark Morgan came to preach about, about sacrifice and giving. I remember sitting on the pew and I was bawling, crying. I was shaking because everything that I thought I was comfortable giving, God just completely wiped that off the table and said, this is what you need to give now. And I was just shaking because I, I believe that true sacrifice tests your faith in God. I believe when God prompts you to truly give something up, your, your faith in God will be tested because that's exactly what happened to me. I'm sitting there praying. I'm saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. And God's just saying, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. And my faith was tested. But we said yes, and we went through it. I also knew that in 2022, because of Let's Imagine, my life was going to change forever. And I wanted to make sure that that year was going to be a great year of sacrifice, not just financially, but every single part of my life. I wanted to give it up. I wanted to give it all for God. You see... There's, there's a little backstory here. About five years ago in prayer, I, I, I felt God confirmed that I was supposed to give a 40-day fast. And when I start talking about this, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands I'm really, I'm really not doing this for me. I, 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 I don't want to talk about this part of my life, but I do believe that it is for the message itself. So about five, six years ago, God called me to a 40-day fast. Somebody was talking to me about it, and it was just confirmed in prayer. And I just felt like God was taking me to that place, 40-day fast. I remember we had a, a kid's uh, speaker. His name was Lloyd Squires. He's one of the craziest people I've ever met in my life, legitimately one of the craziest people. Just wacky, just always joking, always on, never turning off. And I remember I went out to lunch with him, and I said, hey, Brother Squires, how did you know that you're called to kids' and I remember that moment he just completely stopped joking and he turned to me and grabbed my shoulder and squeezed and he said 40 day fast I did a 40 day fast and then he just stopped turned back and started joking like nothing happened and I just knew that God was telling me in that moment that he's calling me to something and the fact is I I I attempted a 40-day fast every year probably a couple times a year for the past five or six years and I could never get past a certain point the longest I went was 10 days, but I always stopped around day five. I just couldn't get past it. I couldn't push past it. And when I start talking about this 40-day fast, I 100% I know that this is not for everybody. It's just something that was part of my story, and I knew God was calling me to it. It's probably because I was so carnal as a kid, but I just knew that it was part of my story. There's better people than me who have never done this. But, but I remember in this last year in April, God prompted my heart again and said, let's go back. Let's do it again. Let's try again. And so in April, I started a 40-day fast again. And on day five, I remember I was in a church meeting. I was in the church service. And I was sitting in the back and I was just praying. And I felt God tell me, hey, if you want to stop right now, I'll release you. You're good. You're done. And I was so devastated in that moment. I said, God, I just want to finish this. 
I want to get through this. I think I can do it. I want to finish it. And in that moment, God just made a, made a commitment with me. He said, if you give me 35 more days of prayer, I'll give you 35 more days of fasting. And we just went on this journey together. And so the 40 days for me was one of the hardest and one, one of the most easiest things I've ever done. It was hard for all the obvious reasons, painful, tired, weak, watching food videos, all that stuff. It was hard. But at the same time, I just felt the hand of God just carrying me through those days. I just felt his sustenance through those days. And, and that's why it was so easy on the other side. But the hardest day was on day 26. I remember day 26 very clearly. Day 26, I had to call off work because the whole night before I was sick and throwing up. On day 26, I would try to just you know, drink some water and immediately throw up, immediately. And then I'll take a nap for an hour and I'll try it again and just throw up, throw up, throw up. By the middle of the day, I was just laying on a, on a couch and Bianca was literally sticking an IV in my arm and I was just being fed through a needle on my couch and that was day 26. It was, it was difficult. But on the next Sunday after that day, the next Sunday, something incredible happened to us. I remember I was praying in the hall, and somebody grabbed me in the hallway, and they started praying over me and said, uh, they just began to prophesy over my, my life, and they said a couple things, but the last thing they said is, God's going to expand your family in this season. God's going to expand your family. And I just felt like it was true. Bianca was talking to me after that Sunday, and she said that something crazy happened to her. She said on the same exact Sunday, somebody came up to her after, after the, the prayer and said, are you pregnant? And she said, no, I'm not pregnant. But they said that when they looked up on the screen during miracle opportunities, they could have swore they saw somebody write down Bianca's baby. And when they looked back up, it wasn't there, but they had to ask. And so Bianca took a pregnancy test the next morning, and we found out that we were pregnant. And we were excited. We were so happy. Optimistically cautious. And uh, we decided, hey, we're not going to tell anybody. We're just going to wait for the ultrasound and see what happens. But we went in for testing, and, and the doctor said that everything looks really good. All the numbers are super high. She said, it's possible that you guys even might have twins. And I was trying to be cautious, but, man, I was excited. I'm looking up twin strollers on the Internet. I'm, I'm doing everything. I was, just, I was just happy. We were excited. We truly, we truly believed that God was blessing our sacrifice. We felt it. We knew that God was, was blessing what we gave up in that moment, in that season of our life. A week later, we found out that we lost that child as well. And we were devastated. It affected Bianca for months afterwards, but it hit home for me. I remember I was sitting here on a Monday night, and I was just praying, and I was asking God, I thought, I thought this was the promise that we've been sacrificing for. I thought this was the answer to our prayer. I thought this was, I thought this was it. Then I remember I was just sitting on the pew, and I was just was praying, and I began to quote Job. 121 over and over and, and Job said naked I come out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord and I just kept on saying that over and over and over and over and over the Lord gives the Lord takes away still I will say blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be the name of the Lord I just kept on repeating that in prayer and I believe that in certain times in prayer God will open up a vein a window in prayer and I just felt like God just opened up this vein where he just allowed me to speak to these two children that we lost in miscarriage. And I just said, I, I can't wait to meet them and that I hope that I'll make them proud until I do. And it's like God just gave me closure in that moment, gave me peace like a river. 
But it wasn't much after that because we were still struggling with the, with the idea of the losses and Bianca was struggling on her own. But I remember we, we had to go to Mexico just a few weeks later, still dealing with it. And Mexico, we took a group of students to Mexico for 10 days for a mission trip and we had so many stories. But one story in particular that was just personal to us was after the first service. We were talking to a pastor who was also our interpreter. His name was Pastor Riviera. We were sitting down when everybody else was eating, and he just started to ask us about our family and our, and our lives. And we didn't tell him much. We didn't tell him that we've been trying for however many years. We didn't tell him that how, how painful it's been recently. But we just said, you know, we've been trying to have a child. And, then, and when I said that, his eyes just started to immediately tear up. He began to tear up, and he said, 10 years. He said, for the last 10 years, my wife and I, we've been praying that God will bless us with a child. And he started to cry, and he started to just weep. And he said, my wife and I, we're getting older, but we still believe that God's going to give us a child. You cannot take this faith away from us. We still believe. And he said, I want my wife to pray for your wife. For the last 10 years of our marriage, as we've been trying, God has placed people in our lives who are barren. And every single time we prayed for them, every single one was pregnant, became pregnant. He said, I want us to pray for you. You see, before I thought that the highest form of sacrifice was when you gave something up without any expectation for return. But in that day, that, that pastor taught me something different. He showed me that there's a different form of sacrifice where you give something up so that somebody else can be blessed by the thing that you want from God. He, he, he was able, every single time I think about it, I get emotional because it's like the moment that we stepped into his life, he was reminded yet again why him and his wife are struggling. It was another reminder. He said there's been a special anointing over our lives. We've been praying for a baby, but instead God's been giving us an anointing to pray for people to have children. When we came back from Mexico on that Sunday, God had, we had, we had an incredible Sunday service here. Signs, wonders, and miracles were poured out. And I remember afterwards, Pastor Draylen coming up to me and he said, man, I'm so happy for you guys. And I feel so strongly that this time next year, you guys are going to be pregnant. We said, thank you. We appreciate it. And we just, we just kept on this journey of praying and, and praying and believing and believing and believing that God's going to give us a child. The Monday after Thanksgiving, Bianca took a test and we found out again that we were pregnant. And we were so happy, but we were cautious. We said, let's not, let's not do anything crazy. Let's just wait till the first ultrasound. And on the first ultrasound, we were able to see the heartbeat. And we just, it's like a weight just lifted off our shoulders. And we just knew that this is it. And they told us that the expected birth date was July 31st, 2023. Exactly one year from the, to the day that Pastor Draylen told us he feels like we're going to be pregnant. And so I'm standing here today to say that we are 18 weeks pregnant and we are living in the blessings of God. We, we're living, we're, we're walking testimonies of what God can do through sacrifice, what God can do in somebody's life. You see, we decided during Let's Imagine that we're gonna put life on pause. We're not gonna get cars, we're not gonna get houses, we're gonna give everything else. We're gonna survive and give the rest. And I'm also happy to say that three days ago, through blessings and, and raises, that we just closed on a house, and we're just so happy. We're, we're excited to be standing in the blessings of God, which really are. You see, so many people go through life, and they come to church, and they go in prayer, and, and they say, God, I need so many, so many things, this, that, and that. 
But on the other side, like Elisha asked the lady with nothing, God's asking you, what don't you have? Or what do you have? Because God wants to know what you can give up. The principle is very simple. God will multiply what you're willing to sacrifice for him. God's willing to sacrifice. The true question for us is what are you willing to give up for God? You see, Mount Everest is attempted to be climbed every single year. Every single year, only two months out of the year, Mount Everest is able to be climbed. Every other month of the year, it's way too dangerous and people will die. Every single year, there's only two months. It's like God just opens up a window in the heavens so that people can attempt to climb Mount Everest for two months out of the year. The same thing happens in the spirit. Every once in a while in somebody's life or in a church, God just begins to open up these windows. And he's saying, if you want these miracles that you've been praying for, if you want these testimonies that you've been chasing after, right now's the time. I truly believe for First Church, during this campaign, God has opened up a window. And he's saying, anybody who's wanting to tap in, I'm ready to pour out. Because I believe that at any given moment of any given day, it's like the clouds are just full of miracles, ready to be poured out. But it's up to the church to reach up and grab it. But we're so scared sometimes of the unknown, so scared of what's going to happen or not going to happen if we just take a step of faith. But God's calling us today. I truly believe that. And so if you just stand with me, and as we make our way to the front, I want us to truly begin to think and say, God, what in the world can I give up for you today? The greatest thing that God can ever give you is an opportunity to give to somebody else. The greatest thing that God can ever give you is something to bless somebody else. So as they play behind me, let's just take a moment to be truly challenged by God. I want to be like that lady saying, God, I don't have much to give, but what I do have, I'll pour it out. And I'm going to take every single jar in my house and begin to empty it out so that you have the capacity for a miracle in my life. You see, I'll give up my time. I'll give up my money. I'll give up my energy. I'll do whatever it takes to increase the capacity in my life because I want to be used by God. You see, there's a story in the Bible is when Joshua was taking the Israelites across the Red Sea and God gave them instructions. He said, you need to have the priests take up the Ark of the Covenant and step inside of the river. Just take a step inside of the river. And as these priests took a step inside of the river, the Bible says that the waters just begin to part underneath their feet. And I remember I read that story and I just had to question myself and say, God, who am I in this story? Am I one of these priests just standing in the middle of the river watching, feeling, physically feeling water part underneath me? Or am I the Israelites just standing on the bank watching the miracles take place? I said from this moment forward, I refuse to just watch somebody else's miracle. I don't want to just watch somebody else be used of God. I want to make sure I do everything in my power to take a step of faith into the waters. I want to, I want to leap into the waters and watch the miracles take place underneath my feet. And so for the people in this room, the real question is, who are you? Who are you? Are you somebody who's willing to take a leap of faith into the waters, get your feet wet a little bit? Or are you just going to stand on the banks and say, I'll watch God move in somebody else's life? Because the fact of the matter is, 
Before you were ever born, God called you as a prophet to the nations. God called you from the moment you were born and said, I have placed something inside of your life. But just because God's given you potential means nothing at all until you begin to tap into it. God's called you to change lives. God's called you to pull out families from the, from the muck and the mire. God's called you, and he's given you a testimony that can change people. You have the ability and the capacity born inside of you, birthed inside of you, to change somebody's life. But the question is, are you willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to tap into that change, to tap into that potential? Because God wants to use you. Are you willing to make the sacrifice it takes? Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Let's just pray in this moment and really have a heart check and say, God, what exactly are you calling me to give up? Because once God tells you exactly what you need to give up, that's when the decision takes place. That's when you're going to stand on the sidelines or step into the river. I'm asking you, whatever God tells you to do, step into the river. The river is far drier than the dry land. I promise you that. When God parts the waters, it's far greater than standing down the sidelines. God, I'm asking you to speak to somebody's heart right now. Whatever, whatever direction that you're trying to prompt somebody to, whatever direction that you're telling us we need to go, I refuse to not be used anymore. I want to know that my hands have been blessed by God. And where I go, you will go. Where I go, my my God will go where you walk the footsteps that you've taken demons tremble and flee because of who you're walking with In Jesus name deathbed I won't be thinking about the problems I'm dealing with right now I truly believe that on the day I die everything will come to a conclusion of what actually matters in life and I've decided long ago that the last thing I'm going to regret is taking these big steps of faith there's so many things you could do and should do God's asking you if you're actually willing to actually do it. Because one of the hardest things to face is understanding what God's calling you to and just not having enough faith to step into it. It's knowing exactly what God's pulled you to and just not stepping into it. And so they're going to sing behind me, but in this moment, I, I really want you to ask yourself, God, just ask God right now and say, what exactly are you prompting me to? What exactly are you pulling me towards in this moment? Because wherever you want to go, I'll follow you. In Jesus' name. God, I'm asking you to bless this church at this moment. You, I'm asking you, to God, to respond to faithfulness with faithfulness. In the name of Jesus, because you've already opened up the windows, I, I, I'm, stepping into the, I'm stepping into the void, God. Whatever you're calling me to give up, I'm willing to take that pain. I'm willing to step into that mystery because the promise of God are yes and amen. But the promises of God are far more assured of what I can truly see in my own eyes, with my own hands. I just want to know that I'm working with you and Jesus.
right now. I feel something in the Holy Ghost. I feel that His presence is still meeting with us. I feel that He's still speaking to some right now. All I need is you, Lord. Come on, as we surrender our hearts, this is our opportunity. This is our chance right now. Mighty God, I know I've messed this thing up a few times, God. But Lord, oh Lord, I'm trusting and believing in you. I know that, 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 that I've asked you for so many things, oh God, but I'm still believing. I'm still I'm still having faith in a God that I may not be able to see, but I see the works of your hand. God, I read about you all the time. God, I see you working in other people's lives, oh Lord. And all I'm asking is for my own experience. All I'm asking for is my own thing with you right now. Say it. Lord, I need it. Come on, if that's you. Thank you. 